Volume One, Chapter Thirteen of the Marble Faun. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. The Marble Faun by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Volume One, Chapter Thirteen. A Sculptor's Studio. About this period, Miriam seems to have been goaded by a weary restlessness that drove her abroad on any errand or none. She went one morning to visit Kenyon in his studio, whither he had invited her to see a new statue, on which he had staked many hopes, and which was now almost completed in the clay. Next to Hilda, the person for whom Miriam felt most affection and confidence was Kenyon and in all the difficulties that beset her life it was her impulse to draw near hilda for feminine sympathy and the sculptor for brotherly counsel yet it was to little purpose that she approached the edge of the voiceless gulf between herself and them standing on the outmost verge of that dark chasm she might stretch out her hand and never clasp a hand of theirs she might strive to call out help friends help but as with dreamers when they shout her voice would perish inaudibly in the remoteness that seemed such a little way this perception of an infinite shivering solitude amid which we cannot come close enough to human beings to be borne by them and where they turn to cold chilly shapes of mist is one of the most forlorn results of any accident misfortune crime or peculiarity of character that puts an individual ajar with the world very often as in miriam's case there is an insatiable instinct that demands friendship love and intimate communion but is forced to pine in empty forms a hunger of the heart which finds only shadows to feed upon Kenyon's studio was in a cross street or rather an ugly and dirty little lane between the corso and the via della ripetta and though chill narrow gloomy and bordered with tall and shabby structures the lane was not a whit more disagreeable than nine-tenths of the roman streets over the door of one of the houses was a marble tablet bearing an inscription to the purport that the sculpture-rooms within had formerly been occupied by the illustrious artist canova in these precincts which canova's genius was not quite of a character to render sacred though it certainly made them interesting the young american sculptor had now established himself the studio of a sculptor is generally but a rough and dreary-looking place with a good deal the aspect indeed of a stonemason's workshop bare floors of brick or plank and plastered walls an old chair or two or perhaps only a block of marble containing however the possibility of ideal grace within it to sit down upon some hastily scrawled sketches of nude figures on the whitewash of the wall these last are probably the sculptor's earliest glimpses of ideas that may hereafter be solidified into imperishable stone 
or perhaps may remain as impalpable as a dream next there are a few very roughly modelled little figures in clay or plaster exhibiting the second stage of the idea as it advances towards a marble immortality and then is seen the exquisitely designed shape of clay more interesting than even the final marble as being the intimate production of the sculptor himself moulded throughout with his loving hands and nearest to his imagination and heart in the plaster cast from this clay model the beauty of the statue strangely disappears to shine forth again with pure white radiance in the precious marble of carrara works in all these stages of advancement and some with the final touch upon them might be found in kenyon's studio here might be witnessed the process of actually chiselling the marble with which as it is not quite satisfactory to think a sculptor in these days has very little to do in italy there is a class of men whose merely mechanical skill is perhaps more exquisite than was possessed by the ancient artificers who wrought out the designs of praxiteles or very possibly by praxiteles himself whatever of elusive representation can be effected in marble they are capable of achieving if the object be before their eyes the sculptor has but to present these men with a plaster cast of his design and a sufficient block of marble and tell them that the figure is embedded in the stone and must be freed from its encumbering superfluities and in due time without the necessity of his touching the work with his own finger he will see before him the statue that is to make him renowned his creative power has wrought it with a word in no other art surely does genius find such effective instruments and so happily relieve itself of the drudgery of actual performance doing wonderfully nice things by the hands of other people when it may be suspected they could not always be done by the sculptor's own and how much of the admiration which our artists get for their buttons and buttonholes their shoe ties their neckcloth and these at our present epoch of taste make a large share of the renown would be abated if we were generally aware that the sculptor can claim no credit for such pretty performances as immortalized in marble they are not his work but that of some nameless machine in human shape miriam stopped an instant in the antechamber to look at a half-finished bust the features of which seemed to be struggling out of the stone and as it were scattering and dissolving its hard substance by the glow of feeling and intelligence as the skilful workman gave stroke after stroke of the chisel with apparent carelessness but sure effect it was impossible not to think that the outer marble was merely an extraneous environment the human countenance within its embrace must have existed there since the limestone ledges of carrara were first made another bust was nearly completed though still one of kenyon's most trustworthy assistants was at work giving delicate touches shaving off an impalpable something and leaving little heaps of marble dust to attest it 
as these busts in the block of marble thought miriam so does our individual fate exist in the limestone of time we fancy that we carve it out but its ultimate shape is prior to all our action kenyon was in the inner room but hearing a step in the antechamber he threw a veil over what he was at work upon and came out to receive his visitor he was dressed in a gray blouse with a little cap on the top of his head a costume which became him better than the formal garments which he wore whenever he passed out of his own domains the sculptor had a face which when time had done a little more for it would offer a worthy subject for as good an artist as himself features finely cut as if already marble an ideal forehead deeply set eyes and a mouth much hidden in a light brown beard but apparently sensitive and delicate i will not offer you my hand said he it is grimy with cleopatra's clay no i will not touch clay it is earthy and human answered miriam i have come to try whether there is any calm and coolness among your marbles my own art is too nervous too passionate too full of agitation for me to work at it whole days together without intervals of repose so what have you to show me pray look at everything here said kenyon i love to have painters see my work their judgment is unprejudiced and more valuable than that of the world generally from the light which their own art throws on mine more valuable too than that of my brother sculptors who never judge me fairly nor i them perhaps to gratify him miriam looked round at the specimens in marble or plaster of which there were several in the room comprising originals or casts of most of the designs that kenyon had thus far produced he was still too young to have accumulated a large gallery of such things what he had to show were chiefly the attempts and experiments in various directions of a beginner in art acting as a stern tutor to himself and profiting more by his failures than by any success of which he was yet capable some of them however had great merit and in the pure fine glow of the new marble it may be they dazzled the judgment into awarding them higher praise than they deserved miriam admired the statue of a beautiful youth a pearl fisher who had got entangled in the weeds at the bottom of the sea and lay dead among the pearl oysters the rich shells and the seaweeds all of like value to him now the poor young man has perished among the prizes that he sought remarked she but what a strange efficacy there is in death if we cannot all win pearls it causes an empty shell to satisfy us just as well i like this statue though it is too cold and stern in its moral lesson and physically the form has not settled itself into sufficient repose in another style there was a grand calm head of milton not copied from any one bust or picture yet more authentic than any of them because all known representations of the poet had been profoundly studied and solved in the artist's mind the bust over the tomb in Rayfriars church the original miniatures and pictures wherever to be found 
had mingled each its special truth in this one work wherein likewise by long perusal and deep love of the paradise lost the comus the liquidas and l'allegro the sculptor had succeeded even better than he knew in spiritualizing his marble with the poet's mighty genius and this was a great thing to have achieved such a length of time after the dry bones and dust of milton were like those of any other dead man there were also several portrait busts comprising those of two or three of the illustrious men of our own country whom kenyon before he left america had asked permission to model he had done so because he sincerely believed that whether he wrought the busts in marble or bronze the one would corrode and the other crumble in the long lapse of time beneath these great men's immortality possibly however the young artist may have underestimated the durability of his material other faces there were too of men who if the brevity of their remembrance after death can be augured from their little value in life should have been represented in snow rather than marble posterity will be puzzled what to do with busts like these the conclusions and petrifications of a vain self-estimate but will find no doubt that they serve to build into stone walls or burn into quicklime as well as if the marble had never been blocked into the geese of human heads but it is an awful thing indeed this endless endurance this almost indestructibility of a marble bust whether in our own case or that of other men it bids us sadly measure the little little time during which our lineaments are likely to be of interest to any human being it is especially singular that americans should care about perpetuating themselves in this mode the brief duration of our families as a hereditary household renders it next to a certainty that the great-grandchildren will not know their father's grandfather and that a half a century hence at furthest the hammer of the auctioneer will thump its knock-down blow against his blockhead sold at so much for the pound of stone and it ought to make us shiver the idea of leaving our features to be a dusty white ghost among strangers of another generation who will take our nose between their thumb and fingers as we have seen men do by caesars and infallibly break it off if they can do so without detection yes said miriam who had been revolving some such thoughts as the above it is a good state of mind for mortal men when he is content to leave no more definite memorial than the grass which will sprout kindly and speedily over his grave if we do not make the spot barren with marble methinks too it will be a fresher and better world when it flings off this great burden of stony memories which the ages have deemed it a piety to heap upon its back what you say remarked kenyon goes against my whole art sculpture and the delight which men naturally take in it appear to me a proof that it is good to work with all time before our view well well answered miriam i must not quarrel with you for flinging your heavy stones at poor posterity and to say the truth i think you are as likely to hit the mark as anybody 
these busts now much as i seem to scorn them make me feel as if you were a magician you turn feverish men into cool quiet marble what a blessed change for them would you could do as much for me oh gladly cried kenyon who had long wished to model that beautiful and most expressive face when will you begin to sit pooh that was not what i meant said miriam come show me something else do you recognize this asked the sculptor he took out of his desk a little old-fashioned ivory coffer yellow with age it was richly carved with antique figures and foliage and had kenyon thought it fit to say that benvenuto cellini wrought this precious box the skill and elaborate fancy of the work would by no means have discredited his word nor the old artist's fame at least it was evidently production of benvenuto school and century and might once have been the jewel case of some grand lady at the court of the medici lifting the lid however no blaze of diamonds was disclosed but only lapped in fleecy cotton a small beautifully shaped hand most delicately sculptured in marble such loving care and nicest art had been lavished here that the palm really seemed to have a tenderness in its very substance touching those lovely fingers had the jealous sculptor allowed you to touch you could hardly believe that a virgin warmth would not steal from them into your heart ah this is very beautiful exclaimed miriam with a genial smile it is as good in its way as lully's hand with its baby dimples which powers showed me at florence evidently valuing it as much as if he had wrought it out of a piece of his great heart as good as harriet hosmer's clasped hands of browning and his wife symbolizing the individuality and heroic union of two high poetic lives nay i do not question that it is better than either of those because you must have wrought it passionately in spite of its maiden palm and dainty fingertips then you do recognize it asked kenyon there is but one right hand on earth that could have supplied the model answered miriam so small and slender so perfectly symmetrical and yet with a character of delicate energy i have watched it a hundred times at its work but i did not dream that you had won hilda so far how have you persuaded that shy maiden to let you take her hand in marble never she never knew it hastily replied kenyon anxious to vindicate his mistress's maidenly reserve i stole it from her the hand is a reminiscence after gazing at it so often and even holding it once for an instant when hilda was not thinking of me i should be a bungler indeed if i could not now reproduce it to something like the life may you win the original one day said miriam kindly i have little ground to hope it answered the sculptor despondingly hilda does not dwell in our mortal atmosphere and gentle and soft as she appears it will be as difficult to win her heart as to entice down a white bird from its sunny freedom in the sky 
it is strange with all her delicacy and fragility the impression she makes of being utterly sufficient to herself no i shall never win her she is abundantly capable of sympathy and delights to receive it but she has no need of love i partly agree with you said miriam it is a mistaken idea which men generally entertain that nature has made women especially prone to throw their whole being into what is technically called love we have to say the least no more necessity for it than yourselves only we have nothing else to do with our hearts when women have other objects in life they are not apt to fall in love i can think of many women distinguished in art literature and science and multitudes whose hearts and minds find good employment in less ostentatious ways who lead high lonely lives and are conscious of no sacrifice so far as your sex is concerned and hilda will be one of these said kenyon sadly the thought makes me shiver for myself and for her too well said miriam smiling perhaps she may sprain the delicate wrist which you have sculptured to such perfection in that case you may hope these old masters to whom she has vowed herself and whom her slender hand and woman's heart serves so faithfully are your only rivals the sculptor sighed as he put away the treasure of hilda's marble hand into the ivory coffer and thought how slight was the possibility that he should ever feel responsive to his own the tender clasp of the original he dared not even kiss the image that he himself had made it had assumed its share of hilda's remote and shy divinity and now said miriam show me the new statue which you asked me hither to see end of chapter 13 of volume 1 read by lars rolander